0: This is London Calling. You are listening to Thought and Leaders.
1: Hello, 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 hello and welcome again to the global podcast that is thought and leaders as you know i scour this amazing magnificent stupendous planet of ours to seek out the most inspirational thought leaders out there and this week is absolutely no exception to the rule recently honored by being made a mbe i give you mr motivator hello
0: mr motivator Good day to you, sir. You notice how polite I am.
1: You are very, very, very polite. Mm. I was uh, waiting for
0: you to say, sir, as well, but of course you didn't get round to that. But of course,
1: sir, Mister Motivator <laughs> MBE, Your Honour. I'm being put in my place, Governor.
0: I think it's important when you're in the presence of greatness that you acknowledge it. You're absolutely right.
1: Now, what a story! Hey. Uh, by the way, his name is Derek, but we all know him as Mr. Motivator. So, Mr. Motivator, what amazing, amazing story. It started off in Manchester, but not Manchester, UK, but Manchester, Jamaica.
0: Manchester has so many things going for it. The one over here has me living here. There's a Manchester in Jamaica where I was born. Yeah. Uh, so good things come out of Manchester.
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, the best things come out of manchester always have done there you go your early life mm. when you were three months old your, your mum you were given away is that right
0: yeah that's right in fact she was actually in the marketplace and um elderly couple came up and said you know look what a pretty boy right. in fact you would expect them to say that wouldn't you absolutely um and and they said look God, let me have him please and my mother said okay she was only 17 at the time. Really? She was having difficulty managing, and uh, it was the right decision. And, you know, the interesting thing is, initially for many years of my life, when I found out that I was given away, mm. I, I focused on the fact that, yes, you've been given away. Your mother didn't love you. And it's only when I was about 25, mm. um, a gentleman said to me, you know, you must focus in life on where you are. Mm. And if you That's focus true. on where you are, you realize, in fact, she made the right decision for you. If you were, if you were, if you were dead, if you were in prison, in hospital, well, someone somewhere along the line made a wrong decision. But the mere fact that you're, you're here, you're where you are, she made a good decision.
1: A lot of us, we have all these ups and downs that we go through. We kind of get ourselves in this kind of groove. It's like stuck, the needle's stuck. Yes. And we just can't forgive the past. And so we can't kind of move
0: on. That's absolutely right. And I think until you do, you don't become a good person, if you wish. And I believe that, you know, everything that happens to us is a foundation stone for what makes us who we are. And so being given away um, meant that there were certain challenges. I was in a family where they were called the Rose and I was called the Evans. They never changed my name. They were disciplinarians. We were very poor. You know, there was five of us living in a mm. uh, two-bedroom little place in Manchester, Jamaica. But the thing is, they showered us with everything that they felt you needed to be able to uh, get on with life, you know, in terms of respect for adults, working hard and ensuring that you don't depend on anybody for your happiness. You, mm. you try and strive, you know, as much as you can on your own. In
1: 1961, uh, the family left to go to Leicester in the UK, mm. where your dad worked as a labourer. Yeah, in a knitwear factory.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I used to remember, you know, fondly him getting on his bike every single morning and riding off to work, and then mm. uh, come home. And in fact, I came up with my um, with my adopted mother, and uh, she didn't. She hated England. Oh, really? Totally hated it. Yeah, yeah. What the climate? She, the
1: climate?
0: The, the climate and everything else. But uh, you know, and so she decided that she wanted to go back to Jamaica. So within a year, she had gone back to Jamaica, and I was left here with with my dad. And that had his challenges because he was into the church in a big way. And so every, just almost every day you were at the church and really? I had to be in the Boys' Brigade and stuff like that. But I have to say, mm. being in the Boys' Brigade was, again, one of the building blocks that made me who I am. And I've never, ever forgotten the teachings of the Boys' Brigade and uh, and the discipline that it taught you. and uh, And it led you down this really kind of, uh, interesting pathway. And it's only when you went away from that pathway that things went wrong. If you stayed true mm. and fast, which was in fact, it was called steadfast and fast was the motto of the Boys Brigade, you would definitely get on in life.
1: Did you have more faith in the Boys Brigade or did you have more faith in the church?
0: It's a, it's a roller coaster. You're part of a group of lots of young people and the Boys Brigade was like a club where all kinds of things went on. You look forward to going to church because when you went to church, you were with all the young people from the Boys Brigade. So it became this kind of extended community, extended family. And that was the kind of guiding block for who you you became. And, you know, you did everything together. You went swimming together. You went to the local coffee bars together. You went camping together. You did all those things together. So Mm -hmm. it was hand in hand. But because the Boys Brigade was kind of attached to the church, Mm. there was no difference really between them.
1: When you're 17, you get a job with the East Midlands Gas Board In the customer complaints department, I bet you it was just as bad then as it is now in terms of customer complaints and putting up with people moaning about all sorts of things.
0: Well, all I can remember, right, is in those days, right, being in an office which had 500 people in the office, and that was on a ground floor level. And in the basement level, the computer room was down there, and that (laughs) occupied that whole level. Right. My desk was right at the front and people would literally rip their meters out and come and slap it on my desk and tell me sort that out. Evans.
1: Oh really?
0: Uh that yeah, real exciting times. But then you see my careers officer, I blame him for my first job because I remember him saying to me, Evans, you're not good for anything except working in an office and that was it. So the first job I went for.
1: Same careers officer I had then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right but it, but it's amazing you know how far removed i am from those days because i only spent two years working for the east midlands gas board and then
1: and then you went you went into jewelry didn't you
0: yeah well the jewelry side was actually slightly bit later because before that i started working for the british shoe corporation learning about stock control and merchandising no way yeah and so my job was to allocate shoes all over the country they had 600 shops all over the country and that was my job was allocating a range of shoes and then i saw a job advertised in london Mm. through an agency i'll always remember the agency was called bull homes and they wanted a merchandiser, went up the interview. Mm. The job was working for Green Shield Stamps.
1: Not Green Shield Stamps. Yes. There was yes. Green Shield Stamps, wasn't there? And then there was also Pink Shield Stamp, but no one ever got the Pink Shield Stamps.
0: No, 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 no. Green Shield was a big one, owned by a guy called Richard Tompkins. Yeah. Great idea, and the offices were in Collingdale.
1: I know Collingdale.
0: And I ended up working there. And then in 1974, yeah, right, Richard Tompkins decided that he was going to set up Argus Distributors. No. Yes. So he set up Argus Distributors and my job was to set up the very first store in Collindale in nineteen seventy-four for Argus distributors. And I was in charge of a range of merchandise that went into the stores, right? So that you could then select it from the catalogue and stuff like that.
1: Good grief. (laughs) And so but then but what is this about the jewellery thing then?
0: I was doing all kinds of stuff because I had a rough time when I came to London initially the job was fine and then there was a point at which i got made redundant and then i was homeless for a while really and then my girlfriend at age 20 got pregnant right. so at age 22 yeah. i was looking after my daughter on my own wow. um and we were outside the homeless family unit begging for somewhere to stay yeah. they put me in a bed and breakfast and then after a while they gave me a council place and i used to travel from over in near Frinsby Park. I know. To a new job I got working for Rank Hovis McDoodle. Really? uh, Looking after a range of low-calorie products that they'd just brought out called Energen One Cal. And it was a low-calorie drink that was manufactured all over the country. And my job was to go around to the factories and plan all the production of this drink. And whilst there, a job came up. Mm. After three years being there, a job came up working for a guy who owned a business called Baggage and General. That was costume jewellery, and they had concessions all over the country. So I went to work for him to sort out all their stock control, and that's where I learned everything to do with costume jewellery. His business went bust, and I set up my own costume jewellery business, trading shop-within-shops in Oxford Street and in Knightsbridge in a store group called Jane Norman.
1: I know Jane Norman. Yeah, I know, but yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And also Topshop. Good grief. Yeah, and all these different stores. At one time, I had 18 different shop-within-shops. No way. Across the country. And I opened in Brent Cross, in the very first top shop that was in Brent Cross. I had a big stall within their store selling costume jewelry, bags, belts, socks, scarves, all that kind of stuff. And I was making a load of money because there weren't many people doing accessories. Yeah. And I used to go around all the suppliers and go down into their warehouses choosing all the old stock. And that's what I put on my stand. And then I got a sprinkling of the fashion colors and put that on the stand so it looked like it was with it. But in general, it was all the old stock I was selling. And it was working.
1: <laughs> well, that's the that's a, that's a schmutter business for you. That's the that's fashion right. business. For, <laughs> yes, it's, it's the latest thing, you know, don't you know? Yeah.
0: But you know where it all went wrong. I tell you where it all went wrong. I'll go on then. After Mm. years of doing it, using intuition and deciding what to sell and and what to put on my stand, I decided I was making all this money. Let's go to some fashion forecasters. Oh, really? So they predicted, right, that the colors for the next season is going to be khaki and brown. (laughs) So I went off to France to buy all my hair combs and and accessories from France in those colors. I went to Holland to buy all my belts in those colors. Put it on the stand, and it didn't sell. Well, I'm not bloody (laughs) surprised. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean brown I mean now now for the younger for the younger listeners out there there was a time believe it or not that everything was beige or brown but uh, that was even cars were beige or brown
0: oh, oh my lord. lord what a mistake it was yeah and it killed my business I went bust and after that that's where it became tough now, that's when I really had a rough time. I was working on building sites. I was cleaning toilets in CNA or stacking shelves in some of the Tesco stores. I was doing whatever I had to do to make a living. In
1: 1983, for mm-hmm. some reason or other, you got involved with exercise classes up the road from Brent Cross in Neasden.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. At a church hall. Yeah, and that's after I'd gone into a leisure centre in Harrow.
1: The actual Harrow Leisure Centre?
0: Yes. Yeah. Actual Harry Leisure Centre.
1: I remember it had a swimming pool. It was very good. Yeah, okay.
0: That's right. Well, they had a a room around the back, which I wandered around to one evening. There were all these ladies in there exercising, and it was called Pop Mobility, where a track of music would go on. Everyone would know the moves, and they would just do it. And I thought, wow. And so I had a word with two ladies at the front who looked like they were doing it really well and asked them whether they would like to teach classes for me. I ran down to Kneesden Lane, found a church hall that was being built, rented it on a Tuesday evening, put these two ladies in there, started doing classes. And I was at the back watching it all being done, learning their moves. And after a month, I said, thank you, goodbye, I'm going to do it now. Mm. So I started teaching my classes then, 1982.
1: Were you always motivated by exercise? Or was this just another business opportunity?
0: No, I saw it as an opportunity because, I mean, I, I thought, look, the, the best thing in the world is to have a business where I was actually exercising. And that means I would reduce my stress level. I would then would get fat. I would be OK. That's what I really believed. And that's why I started it. But then I found out I was really good at it. And I started teaching the classes. And you know what? People would travel for 20 miles to come to my classes. I would have a class where there would be 120 people in there, regularly training with me, from rugby players to athletes, name it. Everyone would turn up to come to Derek Evans' classes. And it got well-known. And then the Heart Foundation got in touch and said, look, motivator, they didn't call me motivator, they said, Derek, we'd love you to go around the country talking to people about the benefits of exercise. So,
1: But how did they find you?
0: They heard about my classes. Oh, I see. And the popularity.
1: You were right on the cusp of the disco era because I think it was a couple of years later that Saturday Night Fever was out. And so you were really right there, you know, the right timing.
0: I was ahead of everything, honestly, to be honest, because when it came to fitness, there was only one book on fitness out at that time. And it was a book by Dr. Cooper in America who wrote the book about aerobics, right? And so that was my kind of Bible. And I would go to the States. There was a dance federation it called the idea international dance and exercise association and i go there and that's where you found out every single new trend and i found a trend called cardio funk that was being taught and it was very much disco music and it was funkadelic you're going way back in time <laughs> So I brought it here and started teaching it, and it got really popular. And, yeah. um, and so I did some videos to do with it, and so it grew, and my popularity grew. And then I got the opportunity to do some work on This Morning, which was really good.
1: That was about 1993. Yeah. One thing about you is that you are very tenacious. You will not give up which is so right in terms of the name motivator because you repeatedly asked to be taken on by itv
0: i used to go down to the tvm studios every month in camden every month i was down there and i had the editor bill ludford on the floor and he said derek i've got a contract with mad lizzie she does fitness on the station we can't let you in here it won't work Ah. and on the bbc they had a green goddess yeah But I kept trying, I kept going down there every time, and every time, here it comes again. It didn't matter to me. And then in 1992, I think GMTV started. And, and what had happened was that I'd been invited onto a show that Gloria Hunniford was presenting. I remember. And she liked the way I did the presentation on the show and asked me to become her trainer. And so I used to travel down to her home and train her three times a week. Yeah. From Mill Hill all the way to Seven Oaks in Kent. It took me an hour and 15 minutes, but I did it three times a week. And she said to me, you need to be on television. So she was responsible for getting me to meet up with Eamon Holmes.
1: Oh, Eamon. I know Eamon.
0: And I started training Eamon and Lorraine Kelly and Sally Meen and all the people from the station. I was training them. And one day I'm sitting in the reception area waiting for Eamon to come down. This guy walks into the reception. He was larger than life. And I got up until this day. I don't know why. I went over to him. I prodded him in the belly. And he he almost slapped me in the face. He stormed off and he said, who the hell are you? What are you doing that for? I found out that he was the program controller of GMTV, a man called Mr. Peter McHugh. And I found out what floor he was on. He was on the fifth floor. And the next day, I got my exercise bike and pushed it into his office. No way. Yes. Two days later, I went back. Huh? I knocked on the door and he said, is that your bike? And I said, yes. He said, why are you handling me? <laughs> I said, because you need to look after yeah. yourself. I heard you've got 200 people working for you. And unless you look mm. after yourself, you won't be around to look after them. Mm. So he said, I don't have time. I said, if you don't make time, you're not going to have time. And he started training. Three months later, he said to me, anyone who can f- convince me to start training yeah. can convince the public to look and think about training and exercise.
1: I see. And and that's when you got involved with Dyke, is it? That's no. It. No, still not.
0: Dyke was never really, no. Dyke was at right. ITV, but a GMTV was run as a separate company.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Every time I wanted to get on air, they kept saying to me, no, a black man doing fitness won't work on television, it won't work.
1: Oh, of course, I've got to put myself, we've got to put ourselves listeners back into those days when the idea of being yeah. black and on TV was something different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh,
0: totally different. Because those days you only saw black people either as a comedian or reading the news. Right. So one day I was walking through the office and I heard a lady on the phone speaking to the KeyFit Association and I was saying they, she would like them to come in and run the fitness on television. mm I went down on all fours, (laughs) literally. And I said Mm. to her, please, put the phone Mm. down. And she did. I said, give Mm. me a chance. She said, I know about you, but the advertisers don't want to advertise around a man doing fitness, especially a black man. Really? She said, but things have a way of changing. Really? About a month later, I get a call from her saying, the girl who's doing the fitness on television is going away for two weeks. Mm. Would you like the chance to go on? Mm. And if you would, we'll give you the chance. The advertisers said they won't advertise, right? But you just come on and do it. 23rd of August, 1993, I went on. Yeah. And the rest, as I say, is history. It's history. Motivator arrived.
1: The name, Mr. Motivator, I understand, came from Richard Madley and, and Judy Finnegan.
0: What happened? They, on this morning, I'd done a slot on there. and one day, I used to go out in, into the shopping centers, and they would throw to me from the studio, say, over to The Motivator. Right, he's with some people. He's working out, right? And I like the name, so I thought, you know what? Instead of the motivator, let's call it Mister Motivator, mm. and that's how it came about. And I registered it quickly. You registered it? Oh yeah. Oh, so yes. I own it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yes. And then with that, not only did you register that, but then out came the very, very important Mister Motivator Ten Minute
0: BLTs. Oh, you heard about it? Uh, you've been doing your research. Oh no, oh no
1: oh yes, yeah, yeah, and and that that was actually from a strategic point of view, absolutely essential, wasn't it?
0: yeah, it was, and you know what, I mean, the thing is when I joined the station, they were at the bottom of the ratings, and once I joined, their ratings started going through the roof, really, so when I brought out the very first video, which was shot in Jamaica, that video went on to be quadruple platinum, we sold nearly one point. I think it was about 1.2 million copies Incredible. of it we sold. Incredible. And then all the videos subsequently we sold, 250,000, copies, mm. which I filmed all over the world because I felt every video had to be aspirational. It had to make you want to go on holiday, make you want to feel good. So we used original music and we shot them a location from Barbados to Australia, name it. You know, we went anywhere, it was hot and warm and I could keep my tan up.
1: Exactly. Now, in 2000, unfortunately, your daughter... Became ill, is that right? And
0: you had to go to Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. We've been going down to Jamaica regularly. We noticed that when she was down there, a breathing problem that she had in the UK didn't manifest itself. So we felt that you know maybe that's the place we should be. And also, my career at um, television, I started to change. I felt, I felt kind of restricted because television wasn't affording me the opportunity to talk about wellness. They were only interested in the entertainment I brought to fitness. Yeah, showbiz first, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I packed up and went over there. And that was actually the best thing for my daughter's health. It was the best thing because she, she quickly recovered. Yeah. We found it eventually in the home that there was a, a patch in one of the, mm-hmm. the rooms that had dampness, and that's what was ah. affecting her. Um, but, but even so, the change was really good for me to make because what happened was that it really gave me t- time away from the media and allowed me to kind of relaunch myself And so I really became what I call the real Mr. Motivator then because, right, um, can you hear that dog?
1: Don't worry. It makes it more authentic.
0: Authentic, okay, fine.
1: Uh,
0: (laughs) What's the name of the dog? Uh, It's called the phone. The phone. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, uh. Yeah, so that, that's my that's my ringtone. Oh, I the dog. see. <laughs> 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 well, is it true yeah. that
1: whilst you were away from everything, that that you teamed up with your son Benjamin and you started to release more fitness videos?
0: Yeah, he became the producer and helped me to direct it, and we shot a video in Jamaica called, you know, the uh, new BLT, which is Bums, Legs, and Tums, and it did very well. You know, using a lot of Jamaican music and yeah, stuff he, like that. Yeah, no, he's now working in the states. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So moving ahead, we go to 2009, where yeah. you come back. Okay. You return to GMTV mm. as Mr. Motivator, kind of around. If I remember, it was about three weeks or something, where you have a yeah. special to promote, and this is key to what happens a bit later on to promote the public health program called Change for Life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I came up for that. And also they wanted to really kind of highlight the fact that obesity had gone out of hand. In fact, it it was really the point at which we stopped talking about Uh anorexia and bulimia. And in fact, the focus really was very much on the fact that people were really losing control of their, their health. So the idea was to bring me back. I'd go on this cruise and on this cruise, we'd highlight all these different body types and stuff like that. But, you know, the one thing I learned from that experience is, it's a bit like a relationship that goes wrong.
1: Oh, yes. I know about those.
0: Right. Ne- never go back into a relationship that goes wrong.
1: Now you're telling me.
0: <laughs> because whatever was wrong in the beginning, right, it's still going to be there. You make make all the promises in the world. Right. But guess what? It rears its head later on.
1: The leopard never changes its spot.
0: A snake may shed its skin, but it's still a snake underneath.
1: Aha. Right? Okay, then. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's not get better at this point.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so you get involved with this Change for Life programme. Yes, yes, You get to meet the then British Prime Minister, Gordon Brown. Yes, yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. In fact, who would have thought that? But it's quite interesting. You know, the Prime Minister before him, I ran into him a load of different times. Really? And I've got the most wonderful story to tell about Tony Blair. Go on. It was the Windrush years in 1998. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone down to um, the foreign office for a, a great big shindig they were putting on. And we're inside, feeling a little bit bored with all the speeches. So my wife and I decide to walk out. Hmm. And as we're walking out the the main room, hmm. who's coming up the stairs? But Tony Blair, right? And his great big winding staircase at the Foreign Office. As he comes up, he goes, "Hello, Moat." I was shocked that he knew me. Really? And he said, "Hello." Mote. He said, "I said, yeah, how are you doing, Tony?" He said, "Look, you realise, Gordon? It was Gordon. What's his name? Has got a bigger office than me, Gordon." Brown. Robert, Robin Cook. Cook. Cook.
1: Oh, oh, he, Robin Cook. I remember Robin. Yeah, Robin, yeah, yes.
0: He said, he's got a bigger office than me. Right. I said, you're joking. He said, yeah, come on, let's have a look. So we go around the corridors like two little kids running <laughs> around the corridor. And he opened up these huge doors, right, yeah. which lets you into an office, yeah. which is like about 25, 32 feet long. Right. huge desk in the middle of it. Yeah. And I sat behind this desk with my feet on Robin Cook's desk. <laughs> and Tony, Tony Blair sits in front of me. And I start interviewing him. And I go, now, I hear you want to be Prime Minister of <laughs> England. That's <Stop> your qualification. <laughs> And we do this thing for about ten minutes, right? Until his aide said, "Look, we've got to go. We've got to go, Mister Blair." So they went. And at the end of the evening, I'm coming outside, and I'd rented a, had a dr- driver that evening, yeah. driving a red Jag. And as I came out, yeah. Tony is heading into my Jag. He had a red Jag as well. So I said to him, "Tony, get up.
1: <laughs> get your Jag, <own> mate.
0: <laughs> get in your own Jag, right? <laughs> get your own Jag. Who do you think Brilliant. you are?
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, <clears throat> Gordon Brown, but he, he got yeah. you very, very deeply involved with yeah. the NHS yeah. Change for Life campaign, yeah. didn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, and I used to go down to number 10 um, many times because his kids were, they love Mr. Motivator as well. So I used to go and work out with his kids really? and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he it was totally endorsed, the whole thing. We set up at the station the Motivation Club. And you know what? In the very first week, we had 10,000 people. No way. Wanting to be, become member of the club. And the, the station couldn't manage it. The station couldn't manage it. So we closed down the club. But I was still the spokesperson, really, on the health campaign. And, you know, I'd go all over the country, to really, to talk to people about the importance of exercise.
1: In between then, before Where We're Going, you even released your book, didn't you? Was that cathartic for you to write about that? Because it was about your childhood in Jamaica.
0: For years, I'd been keeping all the papers, everything to do with every relationship that broke up. I had all the court papers, and I I had all this baggage.
1: Let it go, Moat.
0: That's right. I felt I needed to let it go. So I started writing my book. Yeah. And that came about because I was at the, I uh, remember it was the four weddings and the funeral opening evening. And uh-huh. I ran into Richard Curtis and he said to me, Motivator, everybody wants to know how you've become so popular and stuff like that. You must write your autobiography. So I said, I will one day. He said, you don't have to be in a hurry, but let me give you some advice. Uh-huh. When you write it, do not start with, I was born because everybody will know the ending. <laughs> start, with, start with where you are and keep going backwards and forwards, and that will keep the story interesting. interesting. And that's how I wrote it. And it took me years to do it, yeah. years to do it. But it came out in 2017, and, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's done very well. But I felt really good because it allowed me to kind of put on in print to all my children and my wife exactly what I went through all the different difficulties I had in my life and how they were the stepping stone for what made me who I am and how I, I feel better for, for actually offloading like this because now at least I know exactly what struggles I went through and why I'm the kind of person I am now who smiles more than, than being sad.
1: Fantastic. Inspirational. Now, I want to talk about Thank your you. charity work. I want to go back to yeah. 2007. You presented Move It for mm-hmm. MS. Yes. For multiple sclerosis. It was a an exercise yes. DVD for people with MS.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was approached by them to do a video, um, I didn't know much about MS. The only person I'd known who had MS was Richard Pryor. Oh yeah. I sat down and did some research into it, and then I realized that every single one of us right now mm-hmm. could wake up tomorrow and and have MS. The awful thing, yeah. It's it's horrible. And often what it does, whatever talent you have, it actually attacks your talent. Mm. So in putting a team of people together who would appear on the video, we had to do an audition. And in the room, we would have people who were standing up at one end who had MS, and you wouldn't know. And at the far end, there'd be people in a wheelchair who had MS. Right. It was probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I worked with them for about three months. Mm. I directed it and produced it a yeah, whole lot. Beautiful. And then they gave away the video. So you can get the video from them for literally a pound. Fantastic. And it's gone all over the world. And it was, as I said, it was one of the most rewarding things I ever did. And I now know so much more about MS because fatigue affects people so much. And they really have a difficult time. But the thing is, everyone I meet have their chin up. And that's important.
1: Not only did you get involved with MS, about approximately two years later, you Mm -hmm. started supporting breakthrough breast cancer.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: You joined the Breakthrough Running Club.
0: There's not a time when I can say no to a charity. Right. I have worked with just about every single charity there is. Fantastic! At the start of this year, I was working with Age UK, and we did a whole week of fundraising, which I sorted out for them, and I did exercise classes every day and and so on. Uh, Cancer charities, I do loads of work for cancer charities because on my wife's side, she has cancer on her side. I'm sorry, yeah. Right now, I'm trying to do something Mm. to help people who are homeless because, of course, that is very close to my heart. And so I do free exercise classes, which people can then donate to my charitable trust. And that money is going to be used to help get people off the streets at Christmas.
1: On one of my other episodes, uh, I speak to the CEO of Crisis at Christmas. And it really is a, this year, more than any other year, it's a hell of a difficult one in terms of uh, homelessness.
0: Sure. But Jonathan, you think about it, Jonathan. Every time you came out of uh, a supermarket yeah. prior to the pandemic, right. you had change in your pocket. Now when you come out of the supermarket, you have no change. Because it's
1: all credit card.
0: It's all credit card. People out there are not getting it. And also these charities who normally depend on people coming up with creative ways to raise money – I'd get in nothing at the moment. So I am actually helping so many charities doing exercise classes where at least people at home can be exercising and at the same time donating or maybe getting sponsored to do the workout to help the charity.
1: Another charity you got involved with in 2020, I understand, is called Help for Harry.
0: Oh, yes, yes.
1: Which is helping a boy with muscular dystrophy.
0: Yeah. He's got the rarest form of muscular dystrophy called Duchenne. It took a lot of years for them to diagnose it. In fact, he's lucky to still be alive because the treatment, when I got involved, was a quarter of a million pounds a year and the NHS was reluctant to actually help. Right. So I've been helping all along and I'll always remember my wife and I went on to a show called Mr and Mrs and we happened to win because we knew everything about each <laughs> right. other and we won the jackpot of £30,000. Twenty five thousand of it went to Hell for Harry.
1: But the bravest thing of all, Moat, is that you went on to Mr and Mrs yeah. get yeah. it wrong she'll kill you
0: yeah i know i know but we didn't we got every single question right i mean it was just amazing right and uh, and so we won yeah and and so even late last year i did another exercise class for him wow. and so on i've also got involved with um jdrf which is to do with the diabetes foundation right because my youngest daughter she has type 1 diabetes which a lot of people don't understand I'm sorry. Well, you know, the thing is, we still count our blessings, you know, Jonathan, because I think it's important because, you know, even though she has to inject herself three, four, five times a day, uh, at the end of the day, she's here. Thank God. You know, and she's able to lead a normal life. Beautiful. Theresa May had type 1 diabetes, and there's so many well-known people who have it.
1: You're so right, Mo, that we should every day count our blessings. Oh. Now, to bring this up a little bit, um, I want to. T- uh, yeah. I want to talk to you about the release of In the House music video. Mr. in the house. Mr. in the house.
0: come on and your hands. you Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: What are you up to now, Mo? What is yeah. this? What is this about In the House?
0: What do you see? The thing... I'm the kind of man, right, who you just can't keep down because as far as I'm number one, never wait for your ship to come in. You've got to swim out here, that's number one. Number two, the price of success is perseverance. The third thing is, no one owes you anything in life, so you've true. You've got to get up off your backside and do something about it. And so, I just think, Look, why not? Because these students got in touch with me and said, Look, we got this idea for a single, all right? Let's do it. So, we did it. So, come on, swim it, baby. Show me those biceps. And it's had, it's had hundreds of thousands of views, and it's great. And the track is still out there, and, and that's me. Uh, but, you've know something I want to tell you something though. Go um, on, all seriousness. The one thing I've learned about this pandemic is that there's only five things that matter in our lives right now. Mm. Mm. And it's not that new pair of shoes. It's not the car. It's not a new TV set. Absolutely. It's this. Have you got a roof over your head? Mm. If you have, you're blessed. So true. If you've got food in the fridge, that's number two. You're twice blessed. So true. Because how many people in the world don't have a home or don't have food? Even in this country, Mm. I'm sure we know someone who is struggling to get three meals a day. The third thing is, do you have your health? Mm right? Now, there are too many people who take their health for granted. Shame on you. Because the one thing you should do is that you're not given a good or bad life, you're given a life. And it's up to you to make it good or bad. And one of the ways in which you improve mm. your life mm. is to look after your health. Mm. And that means mm. be active. You don't have to run. You don't have to actually do aerobics. You can go for walks. You can walk up and down the stairs. You can, do, you can dance. Mm. So many things that your body will enjoy. So, as I said, the first thing is home. Second, Food. Third, health. Fourth thing is this: mm. Do you have someone who loves you, or that you love? Even if it's only you loving yourself, because love is those that one ocean. That means if it's in order, you can work until three o'clock in the morning, have an hour sleep, and you wake up again, you go at it. But when your heart is broken, you can't do nothing. Bloody right. You must nurture love, and if the grass looks greener on the other side. Don't go there, because if you go over there, when you get home, you may find that someone else will be mowing you a lawn. Ooh-hoo. Right, that's a warning. So, so love is important. And the final thing is, we have this wonderful thing called a choice. Mm. Imagine this. You're told to wash your hands for 20 seconds. You can wash your hands and drink the water as well. In other countries in the world, they haven't got that choice. Drink the water, I'll wash my hands, I want to drink the water. So therefore, count your blessings every day.
1: You know, and I know, we both know this, that sometimes you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, and still the brick wall is in front of you. What do you say to people? It's not that they're not trying.
0: I've been through those. For 10 years, I went through those brick walls, but I kept trying. Thomas Edison, how many times did he try before he actually got the light to come on? Come on. So true. What you've got to do is often the very thing that happens is this. Just at the moment, you're going to be successful. That's when you give up. So the trick is you've got to keep going no matter what, right? And at the moment, right, we're a bit like clothes that go into a washing machine. We've been twisted and turned and the soap powder is all over us and there's softener on top of us and we've been spun and we've been tangled and we've been turned around. But in the end, when the cycle finishes and you open the door, Whoa. all the clothes come out looking better than it did before. Whoa. Ooh, every one of us is going to come out looking better. Oh,
1: beautiful.
0: Ooh yeah
1: i love that that is so beautiful and it's something that i think we've all got to keep on reminding ourselves because yeah it is tough it is motor said it himself yeah. i know it you know it out there listener it is bloody tough but the thing is is that you never know that next corner might be the corner and you're never if you give up now you literally are one corner away
0: absolutely right you know very often right you know i Our vision is just what we can see straight ahead. Mm. But the moment you make a decision to go right, what's happened is more people see you. And if you go right again, more people see you again. Mm. So what we've got to do is stick with it. Never, ever give up. Listen, another great analogy I can give you is this. Imagine the trees every autumn. They lose their leaves. True. But they still stand up tall, don't they? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they, they can look at the spring, they can say look but look I'm nothing I'm just again. a skeleton there's nothing left of me but yep. there is. Yeah. Because that skeleton has got it's like the vessels it's like Stick with it. it's the structure that builds everything else around it. Yep. All these things that come later in the spring as beautiful as they are, it still needs the strength of that inner self, that inner structure.
0: Absolutely. But you've got to be enthusiastic about what you do.
1: Yeah, but Mo, you can't always... No, you can't, mate.
0: Yes, you can. You
1: can't always get up and say, you know, I'm so enthusiastic. It's like you'll start becoming deluded, won't you?
0: No. Every single day when I get up, right, I look in that mirror and the first thing I say is, wow, Mm. thank God. I celebrate the gift of me to the world. Every one of us must do the same thing every day. Mm. You've got to be enthusiastic about life. And that way you get this positive energy. That comes through, mm. but you've got to give it a chance. But listen, mm. we've all got flaws, and there's a word I've used this year a lot, and it's this: I'm flawsome. Flawsome, and you know what? Now go on. I'm flawsome. Person is. It's an individual who embraces their flaws and still knows that they're awesome, regardless. Flawsome.
1: You still have to do something about it, don't you?
0: No, because if you accept the way you are, you don't have to do anything about it. You have to say, listen, I don't care about people who go, oh, look at the flaws. Often the flaws we see, other people don't see. That's true. The spot that we have, people don't see it. The blackhead that's sticking out, people don't see it. We see it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Right? So therefore, it's loving yourself is what it's all about. Yeah. And that's what we've got to do. And also the other thing is you've got to try and inspire others. Yeah. Because one day, Because you inspired someone out there, they're going to look around at you and they're going to say, you know what, because of you, because of the way in which I saw you really forged ahead, even though it was tough, even though it was hard going, because of that, I didn't give up. I kept going, right? Mm -hmm. Realize that we're blessed in so many ways and good times will come, trust me.
1: I tell you, when I was much younger and that song came out, you know, the greatest love of all is to love yourself. I used to hate that song. Why? Well, because I thought it was self-centered, egotistical, narcissistic. But you are right. You have to be of a certain age to understand what that song is about. Because it's the same as if you go on an airplane, uh, you've got to put the air mask your mask on on yourself uh, exactly you've got to do it. and yeah. if you can't love yourself how are you going to love anyone else it doesn't mean that you have to be a narcissist
0: no no it all starts with you everything and if you want success mm. you start loving yourself and you'll be amazed yeah people start seeing the goodness in you mm. be crazy be stupid be silly be weird be whatever yeah because life is too short to be anything but happy
1: that's so bloody right yeah
0: right and, and, and for every one minute you're sad, that's 60 seconds of happiness you're missing out on. Mm. I'd rather be happy. So every moment you see me, you're going to find that I'm happy. Because trust me, when you've been through the university of life like I have, I know, right? you realize that, you know what? Mm. I don't want to be sad any longer. No. I just want to be happy. So therefore, let me court happiness.
1: Now, I want you to help us and the listeners gain some happiness, not just for themselves, but for other people as well. <laughs> Is there anything you want to promote in terms of a cause or anything, indeed?
0: The only thing I ever want to promote is the fact that I believe that as individuals, the one thing we should do is strive for a healthier us. Mm. And if we all strive for that, I think your family would be happier, Mm. your work colleagues would be happier. And also, right now, all of us can change our outlook. If you just imagine that there's an orange between your shoulder blades, I want you to gently squeeze out the juice of that orange, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah. Right, with your shoulder blades by just squeezing it together. Yeah. Automatically you sit up straight and you look at the world differently. Wow. So, you know, I don't I don't have anything to promote other than look after yourself. Be healthy. Be well. Share the love. Say something kind mm. to someone out there today right and feel better for it
1: i speak as you know to a lot of people around the world on this uh, program and this one is exceptional you really are mr motivator thank you Nick. all of us have a mr motivator a miss motivator a miss motivator inside ourselves yes, you do. and it's a question of allowing that voice to come out and to basically go for it, because you know what? Even if you fall down, doesn't matter, as Rocky once said, doesn't matter how many times you fall down, what counts is how many times you get up.
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely. absolutely.
1: So, once again, yeah. thanks very much, Mo.
0: My pleasure to be with you, JG. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man.
1: Everyone, you know how to find this man, Mr. Motivator. He has got absolutely so much out there on him follow him. It really is a great privilege to speak to him, especially now that he's uh, also been sure. recognised with his MBE, so richly, richly, richly deserved. Thank you. So, until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves, get up, and just do it.
0: Yeah, You got it. You got it. Be
1: well. It's the climb The struggles
0: I'm facing. Is a goodbye production. If you are looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email reinvent@me.com. That's reinvent@me.com. Or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com. That's thoughtandleaders.com.